0: Hello again and welcome to the Echo Chamber. This week my guest is the delightful Rosie Barua, who is a intensive care doctor up in Scotland. And let's just crack on with the show. I hope you enjoy it. Hello again and welcome to the Echo Chamber. My guest this week is Dr. Rosie Barua. Hello, Rosie. Hello. How are you doing this morning?
1: A um, bit of a hectic school run, so uh, just dashed into the house, uh, sat myself down. But I'm, I'm I'm busy, sort of decompressing and ready for a nice chat.
0: Yes. Um, well, we'll get into why it's been such a uh, difficult um, school run. But before we um, begin, for those who don't know you, um, do you want to just give us a little bit of background about who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, sure. My name's uh, Rosie Brewer and I am a consultant in critical care and anaesthetics in Edinburgh and um, I've been doing that for nine years now Um, and uh, yeah on Twitter anyone who follows me will know that I'm a big advocate for um, gender equity and that's one of the main reasons I I became active on Twitter Um, but otherwise I'm I'm a mother of one human child and one dog child, Petal, who's sitting at my feet and will hopefully behave throughout the duration of this podcast. Um, And like you, I am um, a keen vegan. Um, Ah, mm. That's actually interesting. I didn't know
0: you were a vegan, Rosie. I am.
1: I am. I, I don't talk about it too much online because it's not worth the hassle but I do look at the stuff you post and there was something (laughs) last weekend and it looks so nice. I can't Um, even remember. I think it was for apples or something it was uh, it was something very Mediterranean.
0: It was that my uh, one of my nursing colleagues said she was going to get some uh, food for us her husband's Syrian and Mm. she's going to get and I said, Oh yeah, I'll have a falafel wrap if it's coming. And then it, we just had an absolute kicking in uh, recess. And I completely forgot about food. And it got to about half an hour before the end of my shift. And she just basically grabbed me by the hand and took me into the office and sat, sat me under this ridiculous... I asked for one falafel wrap and I got all of that other stuff as well.
1: Oh, that must have just been like the best falafel of your oh,
0: life. It was so good. It was so good. Oh. It reminded me this will be my pre-vegan days now. It reminded me when my um, first daughter was born. And so my second child. Uh, she was born on Christmas Day and we uh, my wife was laboring over Christmas Eve uh, night and then obviously in the morning gave birth. Um, we were home uh, for Christmas lunch, but my mum was staying looking after my other boy and um, she had made Christmas dinner for us um, and that was a similar kind of experience where you're just so tired and hungry and emotional and then someone just prepares this meal for you and it seems like it's never-ending and you just inhale it and you just you know kind of sit back in this carved up
1: glow And yeah. <laughs> um, food made for you and sort of eaten in that kind of circumstance either at the oh, end yes. of you know a horrible shift or the end of such a momentous kind of family event I mean it is just this embodiment of just love isn't it and it really just, is yeah um, you're just
0: you're just you're just ingesting um mm. the love of your friends and family and that's and I think that's what makes it, it doesn't even have to be the best food in the world it doesn't have to be like no. cuisine or anything mm. but that's it. It's the context of it is so important, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So, Rosie, you are uh, an anesthesiologist and a, a intensivist.
1: Mm. So
0: uh, there's been this, um, uh, I think it's pronounced coronavirus. Uh, yeah, I've and heard then, it's uh, quite a big thing. Some it's some it's been a bit of a big deal, apparently. Yeah. I've not noticed it myself. But um, how have you found this last coming on to uh what is it now more than 18 months now 2021
1: 20, yeah. you know it's it's funny because we were at work um and you know when something's been going on long enough that you now have memories that aren't just memories but are almost part of some kind of collective nostalgia and Mm. recently we've changed our sort of PPE policy. So we just wear our FFP3 masks when we go into our bubble. And then when you approach a patient, you put on um, a gown. Um, a surgical gown as a, as, a, as a one patient thing. And we were we were reminiscing about the days when there'd be a queue at the donning station and you'd use a pair of scissors to cut a wee thumb hole in before you sort of put your top layer of gloves on. And, um, and you know, the, the first wave we had these horrible, reusable uh, visors that you kind of had to screw to your head. And, you know, it, it, it felt like talking about something from a really long time ago. And that's kind of the first time I've, mm. I've felt that sense of of the first wave certainly becoming um, a proper memory um, because mm. it feels like it's gone on for so long, um, and just the memories of you know Twitter going mad with all, with all these kind of things about oh coronavirus is coming and people talking about you know will our auction supplies hold up and you know will we have electricity will all the electricity um, stations shut down because there'll be no one to 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 work at them and you know just this. Feeling of standing on this precipice and, and having no idea what was coming, and now we are, like you say, heading into our, our second winter. I mean, I was forty-three when it started, and I'm forty-five now. It feels like it's mm. it's now just become part of life, um, yeah. as opposed to a we genuinely thought in the first mm. wave that it would be over by summer. Um, we were thinking, right, we'll all go to Inverleith Park and drink cocktails yeah. and you know wake up in the morning on the grass covered in dew. Mm. But you know, it didn't really work out that way. No,
0: that's so funny. Yeah, when the pandemic started, I was um, 37, and I feel like I'm 53 now.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: uh, <laughs> yeah, I've, I had a weird uh, experience as well recently, interestingly, that you brought it up, because I was asked to do a lecture, uh, and the lecture was entitled Lessons from the Pandemic Frontline. Mm. And it it forced me, obviously, to go back and review everything that we had done in the emergency department in preparation for and all the changes we made and the amount of work that we put in as a collective, not just in the emergency department, but as a hospital. And I do remember those early days uh, in the beginning to the middle of March uh, 2020. Um, Oh, man, I was obsessed with it to begin with. I, I read everything that came to it. And, um, you know, and it was interesting because part of my uh, my role in the preparation of the health board for the coronavirus was to just teach as many people certain, protein, you know, people who work outside of the emergency department and intensive care areas um, how to put PPE on, how to do CPR safely in an infective person Um, but I also had to get people mentally prepared for it as well Um, so I remember you know all these people you know middle of March kind of apprehensive but maybe not entirely appreciative and then there was me who'd spent the preceding weeks
1: Mm.
0: biting my nails and down to the nubs of my fingertips um reading about all the stuff that was happening and then trying to without being overly alarmist trying to say to people no 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 this isn't going to (laughs) be this isn't going to be something that's only going to be a few weeks this is
1: yeah i mean that's the thing one of um i was uh had the, the pleasure of supervising a final year medical student um, doing an SSC project where she used qualitative research methods to explore the experience of intensive care consultants um, during the first wave um, and the accounts she got from uh, the participants she interviewed were fascinating she presented that at our journal club just this week so it's you know still quite fresh in my mind and it's exactly that you know we're so used to you know there there was MERS and it was going to be a thing mm. and then it never became a thing and then Latterly, there was Ebola, and there was a lot of mm. um, stress about oh, we need to don and off um, faultlessly because that's when healthcare workers get Ebola yeah. and die. And there have been so many of these, not false alarms, because it's absolutely right that we should have a, a state of preparedness for these these kinds of things. But with SARS. COVID-2, again, you sort of heard these stories about something happening in China and thinking, oh, oh, doesn't sound great, does it? Um, And it was only when it got to North Italy, you thought, oh, there's actually a reasonable chance it could come here. And then just Mm -hmm. feeling that, like you say, rising sense of dread of, right, okay, well, this isn't going to be a drill. This isn't going to be just emailing your AMD with, oh, yeah, here's our protocol for viral stuff. (laughs) Yeah, not going to need it, but here it is. Yeah. and and like you say, just never before have I ever felt more stressed not being at work in those yeah. sort of three four weeks before it all kicked off, because mm-hmm. we were in this this heightened state of 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 alert. You know, mm. I, I I do not struggle with sleeping unless I'm too hot or something, um, yeah. and I'd be waking up at four in the morning just just stressing about things, and then my my poor daughter thinking, am I gonna ever get back to school again? And you know, just mm. it's it's I don't think I'll ever have a time in my life as tumultuous as mm. sort of March to May, 2020. Um, yeah. I, think, I think for for so many of us, it will never, that kind of innocence has gone forever. Oh um, yes. In terms absolutely. of disruption to every aspect of our lives. And I'm not <laughs> sure um, what, what would top that. I probably should, shouldn't say that's tempting fate, but I'm not yeah. sure what will top that.
0: Well, the only things that will top it will be worse pandemics.
1: You know, uh,
0: that's, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, I, I remember talking to people about these kinds of things and, you know, everyone's just, had... I think the problem with this kind of situation is it's very difficult to understand when things gets beyond a certain uh, number and scale. Mm. People can understand like a single major incident, like, To use a crude example, uh, but like a bomb going off, yeah, people can understand that it's a single discrete event. There's Mm -hmm. many casualties. There's confusion. There's noise. There's danger, um, but it happens. You encapsulate it, and the casualties, the emergency services, the healthcare services, everything can be quantified and understood, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, because it's limited and but with something like this it was very difficult because you know if if we compressed everything down into a you know like a a a two-day period it would have been the most catastrophic kind of event in the history of catastrophic events to healthcare but because it spread out thinly uh over a period um it made it more difficult to comprehend the they the, the, just this ongoing stress, that kind of low level mm-hmm. stress mm-hmm. that constantly is is on the, in the back of your minds. Yeah, you know, if you had a terrorist attack, for example, like you, but your PPE was putting on a putting on a bulletproof vest, say, and walking around that, and then someone says, "Oh, well, it's over now." You take the bulletproof vest off.
1: Yeah, there's bat- a there's a discrete period of time, like you exactly.
0: say. But this time, like literally every interaction you have is potentially a transmissible interaction. Mm. Every patient you see, every person coming in ill, um, could be COVID. You know, it's more difficult, I suppose, in the emergency department because we we have so many undifferentiated patients coming in
1: mm. I have
0: to kind of presume almost everyone has it. Um, but it's just it, it, like you said, is it is a unique period of our. Um, careers, and it will be the defining period of our. We'll be talking about this until we're retired and until well, we're dead. Well, the-
1: I feel quite sorry for like you know <laughs> medical students to be because and, and medical students right now because they will hear us like going on and on. Do you remember twenty twenty? <laughs> oh, I
0: remember. <laughs> Do you remember we could just like hug each other and lick? <laughs> Willy <you>, nilly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know it will be terrible, but yeah, it's just. And, you know, again, I think um, talking about sort of uh, Corona nostalgia, it's it's it is one of these things that I I, I know I hope you felt the same in, in your department, but in situations like like the situation we were faced with right at the beginning, um, as a team. We really pulled together. We were fortunate to have a team where nobody tried to run away in the other direction. Everyone sort of ran towards the the, the things we had mm. to do, um, and it really did make me feel very fortunate to work in the in the team that I work in. And so, you know, of all the kind of um, little sparkling stars of gold in the otherwise very dark firmament of COVID nineteen, there are actually lots of them. Um, It's just it's it's really cheesy to say, but it's genuinely a privilege to work in a team where everyone puts aside their own sort of personal worries and just just comes to work and puts their best face on and goes for it. It's 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 it's. There's some very fond memories I have of that. Um, Oh
0: yeah, I, I can I can second that absolutely. I think the way everyone eventually got together and the way that we all started pulling in the same direction and actually mm. got things done. It just shows that actually if you have a single vision tent, then you can get things done very quickly. Um, you know, having worked in the NHS for plenty of time, you know, that change can be glacial mm. and, um, and that's when it's going fast but when this came about and everyone had this kind of mindset that we need to get everything uh, in time for our pay- and for everyone's safety. And I was, again, looking at looking at all the bits and pieces we did for the lecture. I was just trying to count up the number of hours uh, it would have been, you know, individual work hours that it would have taken to you know rearrange the department move things from here to there mm. change where clinics were going literally do some construction work as well which we had to do um and we went live with the MTC 6 months into the pandemic well um so you can imagine all the work that goes around that yeah. uh you know the whole major trauma network for south wales was set up in that period mm-hmm. so um no, no, I mean the work was done beforehand. We delayed the start, we went live um, you know, just before the winter, uh, because we kinda had to, because all mm. of this work couldn't just um step aside. And I was just reviewing it all and just going, My goodness, there was so much effort put in and it did give me a moment of pause to think about how hard everyone did work in that period, and how humbling Absolutely. it is to be part of that organisation that does that. Um, most of it through, <laughs> rather than yeah. any other incentive. Absolutely. So yeah, it's definitely an experience that was that's for sure. So Rosie, tell me then, um, because I, I have certain patterns and rituals that I have to go through. Um, of a morning, mm. uh, actually less so in the morning, more so in the evenings, kind of like a, a, a cool down mm. work to try and bring myself back from, you know, work head, work farboard to home Farbod. Mm. Um, and that involves a number of things, and we'll get into that if we need to. But what is it that you do doing the kind of work that you do um, you know, and I think we both have an appreciation of our work because so I think, you know, every emergency department works closely with their critical care colleagues and anesthetic mm-hmm. colleagues. Um, so I have an appreciation of what you do as well, and I'm sure that you have an appreciation of what we do and the stresses and the strains of it. So tell me how it is you cope with it in the mornings. What your what your morning rituals, your psych-up rituals, and what your evening kind of cool-down rituals?
1: So I, like the morning, first thing in the morning is my favorite, it's gonna sound really terrible. It's my favorite time of day because no one else is up. So I tend to get up pretty early because for me, having that hour to do nothing, but sit, have my toast, have my two cups of tea and read the paper in silence to me is an absolute joy. So um, like today I got up at six, um, ready to, to take the girl to school. Uh, at eight but tomorrow for example I'm in theatre so I'll get up at about 20 past five to give me this sounds really terrible but to give me just that that calm hour to sit um read the paper and it's always two cups of tea and it's always toast and it's very simple but it's just having that time to ease into the day um I Mm. I couldn't do that thing of just getting up straight to the shower you know, shoving toast into your mouth as you grab your car keys or, or, or you know, and, and head out the door. Um, I really need a slow, a slow start, um, and yeah, I, I find that incredibly, incredibly good at just starting the day at the right pace for me. So, so yeah, I'm an early riser. Um,
0: I c- which... I can't eat in the morning.
1: <laughs> really,
0: I really dislike eating in the mornings, and then I discovered. Um, doing things like intermittent fasting
1: mm. and
0: that became my excuse I don't know oh, what yeah. I, mean. I just feel I feel sick uh in the mornings um and the thought of eating uh and I've always been like this too much to the chagrin of my uh mother and my wife who needs to have something in the morning mm. I, I just don't like it I don't like eating breakfast. Um, the most I will have is a cup of coffee, and I have a and I've um, become one of those incredible coffee. Oh, right,
1: all right, with your Aeropress and your thermometer. And... Oh like
0: no, no, cause <laughs> because drinking because of the veganness, I kind of went away from having any kind of milky coffees, mm. and I literally just have a bean to cup, um, freshly ground coffee. Uh, roasted in Wales, obviously <laughs> The home of listening. coffee roasting I know, no, to be fair The coffee doesn't come from Wales, it's just roasted <laughs> in Wales That's um,
1: uh... <laughs> the tropical um, corner of Wales i know not
0: exactly, heard all Exactly um, But it is it is good coffee, to be fair Welsh Coffee Company, this is a little shout out I'm mm. not going, this is a paid but <laughs> the Welsh Coffee Company and Hugh at the Welsh Coffee Company, is a very thing Uh, but does do sterling work I must say yeah Um, yeah, so I I, that's what I do I drink a um, I mean, breakfast and... is
1: my favourite meal of the day. I, I I get like when I wake up, I'm just excited because it's breakfast time. And I didn't start eating breakfast until I was actually pregnant with my daughter. Before, like you, I wouldn't eat, and this is disgraceful. Thinking about it now, my breakfast used to be just sneaking down to the WRVS when I was at work and getting, you know, those rice crispy squares. Yes. Um, <laughs> that, that bound together with marshmallow. I'd get the chocolate version of one of them and a can of oh, diet yes. free, Diet Coke. Um, caffeine free if possible and that would be my breakfast about half past 10 but then when I was I was actually sort of you know growing a fetus I thought a fetus probably needs breakfast and that's when I started making time for breakfast and now it's my favorite meal of the day even though I have the same thing every day it's just sourdough toast with um, some flora and marmalade like really thick shred marmalade like really kind of chunky bits of of uh, peel on it oh it's so good so good
0: (sighs) I am gonna to have to contest something here. Did I hear you say that you would get a caffeine free Diet Coke?
1: Well, my problem was back in the day, I would I mean, this is so horrible. First thing in the morning I'd neck a can of Coke um before going to work. And then I would have during the day about five or six and then coming home. So if I had caffeinated right. coke, I would not be able to sleep. But then I, see. Okay. I mean this, As soon as I was pregnant, I just went off Coke altogether. And I've never been able to go back to it. And that's been 15 years, which is probably quite a good thing. um, That is interesting. So yeah, it it was caffeine free simply because otherwise I would never sleep because I was drinking about eight cans a day. It's horrible. It's amazing I have teeth. Yeah, Um,
0: that is mm. is very funny. I've always described caffeine free Diet Coke as just brown and water because Mm. I can't figure out what else is in it.
1: <laughs> I think it was just the fizz, just that fizz. It's and just the fizz.
0: And... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know, I know. I, um, I was pretty terrible with them, and if you listen to my wife, I probably am still pretty terrible <laughs> with the fizzy drinks. Um, and I would, yeah, I remember this now. Now that you remember, I would literally take two cans of Coke in the <laughs> and drink them. I mean, it's horrible. It's it crazy.
1: is horrible. You it, like, oh. Yeah.
0: You think, oh, we're meant to be healthcare professionals understand the implications of, you know, nutrition and all this, Mm. that, and the other. But that's interesting, though, isn't it? Because really, being a vegan doctor, Mm. I'm going to bring you back to this now, Uh, being a vegan doctor, you do realise how little we actually understand about nutrition. Um, I never really thought of it. I think, for me, nutrition was in the ill and injured was just a case of getting calories it's probably true up to a point um but when you become vegan and then you have to think a little bit more about what you're eating mm-hmm. you realize my goodness i i didn't know any of this mm-hmm. i didn't <laughs> so um because you always get the questions don't you um about veganism well where do you get your protein standard uh wh- you know uh, what do you not drink milk what about the calcium and yeah. all of these b12 yeah. though you need b12 do you know what i calculated the amount of b12 that you actually need in a lifetime is about the same weight as 3 grains of rice really that's how much that's it is as uh, a we need yeah. yeah and for that people are insisting that we essentially have to kill you know how many billions of hours
1: mm. a year
0: mm. so we can get that but what's interesting to note about that as well oh people are going to be switching off left right and center <laughs> but um, what's interesting about that that as well is that the whole point b12 isn't synthesized by human beings or it's, but in fact it's not even synthesized by animals it's 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 ingested when they eat Grass, the bacteria, and they,
1: they just so, eat loads of it, so that's they, they have it,
0: and so yeah, it just gets concentrated in that. But the problem is, so much of our meat is not grass-fed. You know, these mm. animals barely ever see a field. Um, so the way they get their B12 is, surprise, supplemented. <laughs> we are, we're eating animals you need to be supplemented with b12 themselves so that we can have it i mean it's just it's it's a bit of a nonsense really isn't it
1: and it is like you say it's those questions that you always get some of which are well-meaning and some of them i mean you you can almost categorize them can yeah. you These are the health ones like you said yeah. you know where do you get your vitamins you're not concerned yeah. that you know you're gonna um basically yeah, drop an inch in height every year with all your vertical yeah. crush fractures and all that kind of thing. And then there's the the pointless hypotheticals, like, yeah. um, so if you're on a desert island, would you yeah. eat a cow? And it's like, well, what would the cow be eating? The cow be eating plants. So I'm guessing there's yeah. other stuff that I could be eating. Yeah. And then there's the hypocrites kind of thing. Have you ever used fly spray? Um, yeah. You know, do you take anti-malarials when you go yeah. abroad? Well, then you're killing the animals, aren't you? You're just this massive hypocrite. Do you know what about how all many the mice that die are when you...
0: killed oh. every time the plough goes? And you're like, come
1: Wait. on, come So on, yeah, mate. there's categories of them. And then what is quite <laughs> sweet is if somebody you know finds out that I'm vegan, I try not to talk about it. Yeah. Um, they then start telling me about how how kind of they're trying to cut down on meat, and and you know it's a bit rude to be like, you know what, I don't really care.
0: I know, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> do exactly.
1: what you want. Do it's what like, you want.
0: Exactly. Just do what you want. Everyone, as soon as they find out, there's the guilt ones. It's like, oh, well, you know, we try and eat, you know, grass-fed mm. beef. And, meat
1: uh,
0: And you're like, you, you don't have to justify your life choices to me. It's fine.
1: Absolutely. And it sounds really mean, but. <laughs> yeah.
0: You get the meat bros as well. Oh, oh bacon lol. That's why I always like bacon lol. Uh, yeah. You get those people. Oh, but it is funny. It does remind. It's very difficult to uh, be a vegan and talk about it because as soon as you start talking about it, after usually, it um, people go, "Oh, God, that's all you ever talk about." And it reminds <laughs> me of the joke of, like, "How do you know someone's vegan?" Don't worry, they'll tell you. That's yeah. how. You- <laughs> but I also used to do crossfit as well, so um, I haven't been able to do it since the pandemic started. But um, when you do, when you're a vegan who does CrossFit, the real dilemma is what do you talk about?
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so tell me, um, so how how long have you been um, uh,
1: vegan then? So properly vegan since just before my first shift birthday, so that's about five years now. But you know, it's it's funny. It would be really interesting to sort of find out from people who have adopted a plant-based diet. Um, ever since I was little, um, you know, my parents are Indian, so we always ate Indian food when mm-hmm. I was small. And so there's a lot of, you know, it's also it's very easy to eat vegetarian because you just just choose not to eat the meat dishes um, because it's all sort of on the table and you take what you want. But mm-hmm. I never like if there was ever a gristly bit in meat or um
0: mm-hmm.
1: or in fish, I, it just really it, it really nauseated me. and I could never like if you were having lamb curry to me, it it, it wasn't lamb curry. It was a lamb. In curry, yeah. and I yeah. could never make that separation, which you need to, I think, mm-hmm. from the animal in the field to the thing on my plate, and that, and I remember that from when I was really little, and it drove my mum mental, and um, mm. you know, um, because I was just very, very picky about what I ate, because the texture of meat was something that just, just really nauseated me. Yeah. And so I've been vegetarian since I was a teenager. Um, but then because I love my tea as we've already discussed, and mm. I thought a long time about going completely uh, vegan, but I, I thought, you know, that classic thing, I would really miss milk in my tea. And mm. tea is one of my reliable daily pleasures. But then mm. I just tried some oat milk one day and it was totally fine. And that that yeah. was it. I was like, fine. Um That's and, it. And, and and I just dropped. Um, dairy and, and eggs and you know I like baking baking sort of something uh, that's a, a bit of a hobby but you can just substitute um, egg replacer and flora uh, yeah and um, just whatever plant-based milk into regular baking recipes so you don't need to even get get new recipes when you're baking because substitutions are really easy and they work really well and so it's mm. and I live in Edinburgh which um is a really vegan friendly city so eating out um and shops and things it's, it's just not a problem mm. um so it's not been difficult at yeah. all
0: have you noticed things have been getting easier as well oh very as much in, so I mean yeah.
1: it's like, we've got a pizza express um yesterday um because my daughter got her coronavirus vaccination and she's feeling quite sad and um, they've now veganized all of their their meat range so you can get a Apollo Ad Astra but it's a vegan one you know American hot but it's a vegan one yeah so everything's been veganized now I think that's just in the last week um, you know and I think just everywhere is doing that now it would be really unusual maybe French restaurants which um, I don't really eat french food but you know i think there's maybe just a very few genres of cuisine now where you would go to a restaurant and there wouldn't be a plant-based option certainly well
0: i i you know i used to make jokes about it when i was a big meat eater and i have to admit rosie i was a big meat eater (laughs) um i I'm and I'm, I'm happy to say I was a bit of a twat about it as well. If I'm honest, uh, I used to make fun of anyone who didn't eat meat. Um, so I've really gone like 180 in my attitude with a lot of these things. Um, but um, I used to make jokes about um, the cruelty involved in uh, like things like veal, um, mm. milk veal, and just say that like it's the cruelty that actually adds the extra flavour. Yeah. And like foie gras and things like that. But now when I think about it, I think these are just there are practices it's it's not necessarily the eating meat, I think. It's it's I think you can I think you can eat meat. I think it is possible to eat meat with limiting your effects on um the natural world but i just don't think we can do that currently because all of our meat production is so heavily industrialized yes um and actually if we eat meat the way that people imagine you know farms to be like the the farming babe you know where the farmer knows all his animals and loves them and looks after them and they have that classic thing they say oh animals only have one bad day they have this beautiful (sighs) life and they have one bad day uh, to kind of justify it. And I'm like, mate, you've not even seen a modern farm then, if that's what you think. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, not only is it just unrelenting cruelty from beginning to end for the vast majority of these industrialised farms, but also just the impact, just just the filth and the, the the amount of antibiotics and things they have to give them and just, it's just, it's, it's a fantasy for most people things like free range and outdoor reared and all of that is it's 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 just marketing ploys and we are eating far too much of it um and it's only it's only really a phenomenon in the last you know century and a half isn't it uh where these industrialized practices came about because people didn't used to eat meat three times a day you know and have these ridiculous things where you know like surf and turf and things like this where you just like have all sorts of different types of meat you know kings might eat like that um, <laughs> and they all
1: had goats. Like,
0: not everyone exactly <laughs> and it's this i one should have uh should eat meat three times a day with each meal um topped off with a milkshake and I don't know, some grated puffin or something. Then you know, it's it's the only way to live. And I go, that's it's it's utter nonsense. And it's 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 very difficult to get people's heads around it. So, seeing how things have progressed over the last few years since um, myself, when I when I made the decision to go plant based, mm. and I did it entirely for selfish reasons. I did it because my health was failing me, and oh. um, at a, at a young age, and I had some you know some sort of autoimmune issues with my joints. and, and it's all going crazy. And I, my doctors were telling me that, oh, you need to. Um... Firstly, I was taking anti-inflammatories every day, which was never a great, great thing. Put you on some uh, disease-modifying drugs. I was like, do you know what? There are other things I can do first. So I'll cut out dairy. I'll cut out the meat and see what happens. And it, it was, for me, I'm not saying that this works for everyone. This is just my anecdotal evidence. For me, it was night and day.
1: Wow,
0: and you know, I still get little flares. It's not to say that I'm completely better, but you know, going from taking anti every day to now maybe taking anti inflammatories once or twice a year, I mean, it's made that's a huge.
1: Okay, difference. yeah,
0: it's <laughs> cool. Like I can live with that, and you know, even if it's a case of oh well, you still got the disease and it'll get worse, and I'm go well. That's fine. So long as I can slow it, mm-hmm. and I don't have to keep taking you know drugs to manage it then that's fine with me. And then everything else has come secondary to that. You know, um, the ethical side and learning about the environmental impacts, it's all come second to that. Um, Not that it's any less important, the evolution of my thinking around being plant-based, begin with, and then becoming vegan. Um, That's
1: really interesting that you distinguish the two, because as I said at the beginning, one of my interests is is gender in medicine, but gender generally, and, I attended this online seminar it sounds fascinating and it actually was really fascinating but about, um, about gender and one of the things was the gender of gender and veganism mm-hmm. and the term plant-based is often used when trying to market things to men
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: because veganism uh, as you've sort of alluded to is tied up with mm-hmm. the ethics of treating animals with compassion and treating them as if they are have the capacity for suffering and so much of modern masculinity um from the sort of industrial ages onwards is about man's the earth being man's dominion uh and and man in that case not just meaning humankind but actually men and and for men you know what is the more masculine image you know a, a guy wearing sort of hemp clothes picking up litter at the side mm. of a cycle path or a man in leathers with a massive motorbike or driving yeah. a lamborghini um you know and so
0: cake? yeah
1: <laughs> exactly and so again you know meat eating it's a man at the barbecue and and it is such this kind of for, for a man to to decide that they don't want to eat meat is almost giving away a part of that masculinity and mm-hmm. one of the things that this lecturer was talking about is when plant-based foods are marketed towards men the packaging you know it tends to be in a black writing on a white background it will tend to have a picture of, of the people yeah. who are in charge of the company are often men they'll have sort of um sort of witty quips on the front so it's all sort of allowing yeah. men to sort of to, to take on this plant-based diet and and this um
0: yeah it's like it's like, I, I, yeah I'm eating,
1: performance i'm
0: eating plant-based mm-hmm. but my penis is still huge so yeah that's the important thing so
1: yeah <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> no i find it really interesting i wonder if actually that kind of relationship between masculinity and meat eating is putting off a lot of men from becoming vegan because they're yeah. they're worried about how they will then have to justify it as if it will yeah. somehow make them make them seem less masculine yeah um have you, you know, seen I have you seen
0: have you seen game changers
1: I've not watched it, but I have okay. heard about it. And again, it's will, all about sporting prowess. It's about how...
0: sport and, yeah, all yeah. of this. But there's this very specific bit in it, which is, um, contest. Uh, you know, um, controversial. Uh, but it is very uh where they take these three young men and give them a um, – over two nights, they put a little measuring device uh on their on their little willies yeah. to test how much um, how big and strong their involuntary erections are overnight um, and they give them a meat based meal one night and then the next night they give them a plant based meal and uh, the, I, I won't give any spoilers away but let's just say <laughs> that the plant based meal made them much more vigorous uh, oh and I'm watching it going Oh, I can absolutely see why they've put this in.
1: That's <laughs> so, oh, dirty me! So crude, you me! <laughs> and it's oh, a well. little
0: bit insulting as well. Like I know, I know that um, that men, young men in particular, bring it on themselves. This kind of, uh, this kind of. Um, Pipe casting of their behaviour. Oh,
1: there's a huge so, amount of social it, pressure, it, though. You know, it's a huge absolutely. amount of external social pressure. But if that yeah. makes them feel a bit better about going towards plant-based diets, and that's
0: I know, awesome. I know, I know, I know exactly. And it's 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 backed up with uh, semi-solid science. <laughs> excuse the pun. Oh, gee. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just very funny about how I, I was watching that, and I was just thinking they would they would not do this um, if um, <laughs> if this was a targeted at a female audience this is very obviously targeted to a young male sporting yeah. audience to try and get them to understand that and, and to be fair to the sports they are very much down the route of you know eat clean eat fresh 95 percent of your calories from plants and um you know so they, they've been going that way for a long time anyway mm. um you know, and there's all these uh, incredible vegan athletes. It must be said, but again, a lot of athletes are kind of the term "freaks" is a bit harsh, but they are kind of physical freaks, uh, and they have genetics that uh, predispose them to it. So, ju- using like top-tier elite athletes as examples, they're like, "Oh, if you just eat more broccoli, this is what you'll look like." I mean, that's not <laughs> it's a little bit disingenuous. Um, but you know, if it gets more people on a on eating more plants and my my thing was always never turning to people vegan but to eat more plants yeah
1: yeah
0: just eat plants that's all i want you to do um you know don't you, you can eat meat, just try not to eat at every meal um and eat just those little things will make huge differences um to everything okay i think we've been talking about veganism for quite a while now so you've got to, <laughs> I think we should move on a little bit. This is bloody typical, isn't it? So stereotypical vegan behaviour. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> but is there anything else you want to say on that topic?
1: No, I think uh, I think that the, the, the little scientific experiment you ended with has has very much put that to bed. <laughs> again, to make it happen. I
0: know case closed. It's just science. Yeah. So young men out there, um, get on your plant based diets. <laughs> Rosie, mm. tell me, do you watch? anything in particular on telly? Do you binge anything? And if you do, uh, what are you binging these days?
1: So uh, I've just finished Vigil. That wasn't a binge, though, because that, that was a drip feed. That's yeah. a drip feed. And um, as I'm getting older, my sort of patience for drip feeds is lessening. I just, you know, because, you know, you're, you're a bit younger than me, but would have grown up in the times where you couldn't fast forward the adverts on telly. Um, oh, you know, yes. y- you had to, to just... Watch what was on when it was on. There's no on-demand, and now Absolutely. I just think the world's moved on. So why are you making me wait?
0: I, I know. So I know it's I'm, it seems <laughs> now that the right. adverts it drives me bonkers. So why are there adverts? If I wanted something, I would just go online and get it
1: and buy it. Um, and yeah, this idea of drop, dropping an episode every week, um, you know, it's like yeah. what w- something happens and you know I, I, I know. Can't watch it. And my, you know, uh, my
0: children cannot get their head around it. I've tried to explain it to them, like we're watching old series on um, Netflix, things we used to, and Disney Plus, things I used to watch, like and Ducktales and things like this. And um, I was trying to get them to understand, like when they've watched their fourth episode in a row, because I'm just a terrible parent. Um, that like, oh, you would only get to watch one a week, and they're just like, "What? What do you mean?" I go, well, we'd only get to watch it like once a week. And if you didn't see it, that's it. You've missed that was it. it. That was yeah. It. Unless you were lucky enough to have a, a you know, a video recorder. That was it. And they just. They,
1: and a, and a, I, a sibling who mind. would spitefully stop the recording halfway through just to annoy you.
0: Oh, gosh. <laughs> Behavior like that. Um, yeah. Just, they just, they cannot, it they cannot conceptualize a world where you can't just go on Netflix and just watch what you want, like then and there and mm. as many as you want and just stop it and come back to it and uh they're, they're living a the dream so how was vigil how did you find it i heard that the end
1: uh, i've not watched it <laughs> um i i liked the ending i think you know I'm, I'm all for endings that kind of end quietly um i think it's quite funny all the stuff um, on Twitter and in the press, from people who work on submarines saying how how incredibly unrealistic it is. And you think, okay, <laughs> Welcome friend, to our is, world. <laughs> uh, yeah, one of the first, first submarine drama. You know, how long's Casualty been on the telly? You know, we've been putting up with a lot. So, um, welcome to our world. Um, I, I could not be uh, a submarine doctor. Um, yeah. I think it sounds like quite a stressful job um, and probably quite a smelly environment to work in it's as well. Job, yeah. um, I don't think it's for me. And um, White Lotus is another one I finished recently. That was, that was oh. quite good um, on Now TV. Uh, all about kind of, well, it's about a lot of things, a lot of unsympathetic characters. But um, I think that sometimes makes TV more, really? more challenging in a good way. You see, um, I quite like
0: that. I quite like that. Mm. I like it when a show has multiple characters with very few redeeming factors.
1: Because
0: yeah. um, one of my favorite shows on TV, and I've spoken about it before, is Archer. And the titular character is this guy called Sterling Archer, who's probably the worst of the lot, like a um, high-functioning alcoholic, bit of a misogynist, uh, very funny, but not trying to be funny. Uh, but he it's is quite the one. World...
1: Misogynists often are quite amusing.
0: <laughs> yeah. he, I mean, he, he is. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, he's the world's greatest secret agent. So he's, mm. it's built on a, a very strong background of uh, misogynistic storytelling, I bet. But every other character, even the women, I mean, the women are very bad in it as well um, and um, have very few redeeming characters. But I love them all. I love them because it makes them more real. Um, yeah. Because people are generally bastards, and <laughs> not everyone, not you,
1: Rosie,
0: not anyone listening.
1: Oh. But the rest of them. <laughs> well, I think I, I, it, it just. Um... Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it's 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 great to watch things about people who are lovely, but, but terrible people are infinitely more interesting. I think if I were to make one recommendation for the best thing I've watched on TV for ages, um it's a Netflix I think it's a Netflix original series. Um that's their first commissioned Korean drama called Kingdom.
0: Okay. And it is
1: excellent. It's set sort of in the medieval times. Um Ooh. and it is ostensibly about zombies but it's also absolutely not about zombies yep. it's about families and it's about loyalty and it's about greed and it's about okay. courage and it's about um it's it's just so good and i think you know um i think boon ho when he gave his oscar acceptance speech said something like you know if you can just get over those quarter inch characters at the bottom of the of the screen a whole world of, of cinema opens up to you and i think this is absolutely the case with with this um it's Absolutely superb, and we'll uh, so that whining in the background about. is my dog. Every time I'm on a call, I have to excuse the whining in the background. It's my. To be honest, I can't dog? hear it. It'll come oh, out in,
0: in <laughs> the edit, but um, I can't hear. I, I, I was a bit worried because my was going off on one as well.
1: <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, Kingdom is excellent.
0: Kingdom, absolutely. Oh. Talk we had about the um, you know, bad you know, Not bad characters, but like uh, non the more interesting characters Um, reminded me of something that was once asked of Alan Rickman, the late late Alan Rickman, who Mm -hmm. I love. Um, He was asked, I can't remember what show it was, but they asked him, so, um, or I can't remember what it was. He was relaying the story. It might've been that this, uh, a a child had asked him a question. And the question was, why, um, why do you uh, enjoy, do you play bad guys uh, or bad people in your um, whenever you take a role? Why why is everyone you play a villain? And he goes, I don't play villains. <laughs> I play very interesting people. <laughs> and it just I mean, it just
1: ain't it the truth. It, ain't it, the it
0: truth? is the truth. Every character like the best the Robin Hood movie was it Prince of Thieves mm. isn't Robin Hood and his American accent it's uh, it's Alan Rickman and his uh, Sheriff of Nottingham
1: cancel Christmas cancel Christmas <laughs> I'll
0: cut his heart out with a spoon
1: <laughs> That's just why a
0: spoon cousin it's blunt it'll hurt more you idiot <laughs> <laughs> I, l- I love Alan Rickman so much, and I'm, I am i apologise to any Rickman fans for my awful, awful uh, impressions, but uh, it's done in homage and done with love. Rosie, we have been chatting a while now. <laughs> um, is there anything in particular you want to talk about?
1: Ooh, is there anything? I think a lot of... I mean, so much of the last 18 months has all been corona, hasn't it? And I know that yeah. one of the great things about this podcast is we try not to speak about medicine, but for us as healthcare workers, you yeah. can't speak about lockdown the way that non-healthcare workers can when they talk about oh, what did you do to keep yourself occupied during yeah. lockdown and how did you fill your days and what hobbies did you acquire? I mean, there's one yeah. thing I did acquire, actually, and one thing about lockdown as you'll remember is driving to work if you, if you do drive every yeah. day felt like driving to work on christmas day uh, yes you know, the streets were just and so the one thing i did acquire in terms of skill is being able to reverse into a parking space which i never oh. wanted to do before because you'd have people waiting and you yeah. know, there's nothing that makes me more sweaty than trying to do a maneuver in busy traffic so uh yeah it's a bit of a random thing to share but yeah my my one lockdown skill acquisition has been uh, reversing into car park spaces and I learned to drive as an adult I was 27 when I passed and so I'm not the most confident driver I think you need to start when you're a teenager and you're you're fearless or you don't expect it to be hard because it's something you see your mum doing all the time yeah um, but when you're 27 you're aware that you're driving this metal bullet that could kill you or anyone else with a, a moments per decision making um yeah and so learning that lockdown skill it's 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 uh, Every time I reverse into a space now, I'm just I just smile uh, with, with the happiness of having of having had the opportunity yeah. <laughs> to develop this. That's um, pretty
0: good though, because actually I think if you can, I think you should always uh, reverse into those spaces. Um, uh, and I have a feeling that um, me reading um, Ian Fleming and the James Bond stories back in the day and how James Bond would always reverse into a car parking space um, and it became kind of like standard procedure because it just means that's that to if you have to, to get away quickly you see yeah. that's the way to do it um, supposedly
1: it's more fuel efficient as well because you're making lots of small movements on a warm engine as opposed to reversing out backwards where you're making yes. small movements on a cold, cold engine, engine like, like Yes. I don't know if it's true or not, but a man told me it, so I will repeat it because he yeah. must have known about engines.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I think your biases are coming out there, Rosie. It's interesting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a man said it. It was about a, a car. Therefore, you know, I, I, I know nothing about cars, but I still go uh, with um, my mum or any other kind of female relative or friend to be with them mm. at uh, car showrooms. And I you know, I know nothing about it, but because I'm there, uh, they feel that... Um, they'll be less likely to be ripped off or taken advantage of. And I just do the standard man thing, which I'm pretty sure every man does. I don't know if I should reveal this because this could just be like (laughs) revealing the man's secret. But what you do is you put your hands in your pockets. You never smile at a car. You just kind of like frown at it, kick the tires a couple of times and then like suck your teeth. Yeah, and that's it. That is how to be a man at a car (laughs) showroom.
1: Oh... (laughs) Yeah, it's yeah, funny, isn't it? It's funny, yeah. but it's it kind of gives me an insight into maybe not so much a car showroom, but a garage. You know what it must be like yeah. to not have any medical knowledge because they can say whatever they want, and I have to trust them. you yeah. know, and you and I have no means of contradicting what they say. It makes you feel quite perilous.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Rosie because i'm very aware that i've taken up so much of your time already i want to get to the final question and uh, it's a question i ask of everyone so i'm not um singling you out (laughs) at all but what i want to know is what is the strangest thing you have ever experienced
1: so i mean you could you could go macro or micro with that couldn't you um,
0: you can take it any way you like you can, and you can give me multiple stories as well you don't have to be a single.
1: Yeah. I still think you know you have transition points in your life don't you so you know uh, going to school and then going to university and then you know starting work or having a baby or whatever I think nothing in my life will be stranger than I grew up in Glasgow and when I was 18 I moved to Edinburgh to start university and I've never left because it's lovely here, I don't know if you ever visited but, but Oh but I've been to, it. It,
0: I love it, it's one of my favourite cities
1: I mean it's gorgeous isn't it but
0: hmm. you know
1: Glasgow to Edinburgh is 50 miles and a lot happens in those 50 miles they are oh, very okay. very very different places um, and I love Glasgow and I love going back um, and I love Edinburgh now because it's been my home for 27 years Um, But I don't think anything will be stranger to me than, you know, the hours drive from my mom's house to here and finding myself at Edinburgh University. And, you know, our family friends were all GPs. Um, My mother was a graduate. We grew up in a house with books. So in terms of um, being from a background where university would seem like a foreign environment. That's absolutely not the case, Uh, because we grew up in in an environment where the expectation was we would go on to tertiary education and we grew up somewhere where education, you know, classic Asian thing was was the only thing we needed to spend our time on. And yet coming to Edinburgh University and finding myself surrounded by people who just felt or or gave off um, this aura of absolutely belonging in this, in this to me, what was very sort of intimidating academic environment. And, you know, I had just not prepared myself for that. You know, I'd met the entrance requirements, I'd been to the open day, I'd I'd passed my exams, I'd got in, and yet felt absolutely out of place. It was the weirdest weirdest thing thinking how on earth am I going to spend five years here? Um, I don't think I've got a particularly strong Scottish accent at all and yet every time I open my mouth I, I thought I sounded like Rabsy Nesbitt. Um, it was extraordinary <laughs> and um, again you know I, I am not the tallest person in the world but everyone from <laughs> the southeast England all seems so tall. I was just this this, this really short incredibly Scottish of strange presence, even though I was only 50 miles from from where I'd grown up. Um, And so I think coming to Edinburgh University and starting starting here, I don't think I'll ever have a weirder fish out of water experience in my whole (laughs) life. And so it does make me think, my goodness, if you have come from an environment where university is not part of your, your family's expectations for you and nobody from your wider social circle has been to university or is 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 now working in a profession how do you thrive in that kind of environment it must be exceptionally difficult um and edinburgh i know is a very particular university that attracts people from a certain demographic so i'm sure there are other universities where that experience is not going to be the same but but yeah in terms of just looking around and thinking what yeah. I think I think yeah me uh, and and it's kind of overrepresented in my memory right now cuz Edinburgh's starting back um at the moment and so we're seeing all these students coming back to university yes. and it just yeah. takes me back to to autumn 1994 um being dropped off in my halls by my mum uh just thinking what am i doing here? uh this place is not for me. Yeah, That's nothing would be weirder. Yeah.
0: Being a Scot fish out of water in Scotland.
1: Well, <laughs> A little bit, a little bit yeah. It's quite strange. Um, it, it's, so anyway, it, you went to university and if you felt,
0: you know... I went to university in Cardiff. Mm.
1: And
0: um, I... Yeah, uh, we have left, briefly, but mm. uh, we're just stuck in the valleys now. And I love it here, I must say. Um, I still can't do the accent after how many years. It's I, a I difficult can't.
1: one, though. It's, it's difficult.
0: a difficult one. It's a difficult one. And it's very difficult to not get... Immediately offensive with it, um but uh, I mean, I the way the way I do it, you see, is I I turn into Tom Jones.
1: That's and, uh,
0: good. I've met, met Elvis, you know. <laughs>
1: that's, that's, that's really good. Saying. But are you limited to just a few key phrases, or could you oh, yes. like do handover in that accent, like the whole well, thing? I,
0: I, I could, I could, I could try, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I think it's already, for me, it's already going off. Like, like this is just wrong. I'm just going to stop before I'm evicted and uh, from Wales. <laughs> uh, but it is very funny that um you say you don't have an accent because because you don't really have much of a scottish accent but it it became a uh, it, i came across a very lovely Edim, edinburghian gentleman uh when i was last there and we were having a wee dram of whiskey. and um we i, I think it would be fair to say that we were both um quite warm in the belly uh, by this yes. point and uh, uh, and uh, and I said in like in a moment of you know uh, overly being overly honest I said I said to him you know I, I really love the your accent sir I think I think you have a really lovely melodic Edinburgh accent and he was taken really aback and but yeah very very suddenly the the mood changed immediately and i thought i was giving him a compliment and he goes to me young man i've been told that i have no accent at all (laughs) and i was like fair play fair play i will not mention it again
1: (laughs) that's funny that's funny
0: um, so yeah, I didn't realise it was a it was a thing, but there we are. Um, it's the
1: words, it's the words it's that I remember um, asking somebody in my halls. Oh, can you remember what day we, you you put your buckets out? Um, and they're like, I, I don't have a bucket. And it's like, no, you do, you do that thing in, under your sink. Yeah. Goes, well, you mean the bin? <laughs> it's like because we call bins buckets. Buckets. Um, if it's like a waste paper bin, it's like put it in the bucket. Yeah. Um, yeah, and ending sentences with but, I think I've lost that. Um, yeah. But it's a very Glasgow thing to end your sentence with a button. you find that people would, would pause and wait for yeah. the next bit. And you're like, yeah. oh, that's it. I've actually finished. <laughs> you can talk now. Um, yeah. yeah oh, dear. The, idiosyncrasies.
0: the idiosyncrasies. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Um, Rosie, it's been an like, absolute pleasure <laughs> talking to you.
1: Likewise. Uh,
0: likewise. I, I feel like we've gone through quite a few topics and yet managed to not really speak about anything, which is kind of the... Uh, the whole point of this podcast, isn't it, <laughs> is to try and uh, have a have a chat, get to know each other a little bit better. Because Twitter is very limited, and that was the whole reason for this podcast was to try and get to know these people that are, are tweeting. And I'm very pleased to say that I have thoroughly enjoyed speaking to you.
1: Likewise, uh, it's been it's been on a, wet, on a wet and rainy Monday morning. It's been an absolute ray of sunshine.
0: Thanks again for coming on. Um, and we'll hope to see you soon.
1: Lovely, thank you again for asking me.
0: Well I hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. That was your latest episode of the Echo Chamber. I've been your host at Emergency Pod, and my guest was Doctor Rosie Barua, and you can find her at on Twitter at Rosie ICM. Join us in a couple of weeks when we have another great guest on. If you want to support the show, please go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash The Echo Chamber. See you next time.